Hello, everybody. This is And Just Like That, The Writer's Room, the official companion podcast from HBO Max and Pineapple Street Studios. I'm Michael Patrick King, executive producer, writer, and director of And Just Like That. And I'm joined by executive producer and writer Elisa Zaritsky. Hello, everyone. And executive producer and writer Julie Rottenberg. Hi, guys. Happy to be back here. And, of course, we have a very special return visit from one of our homies, one of our roomies, one of our new loves, Rechna <laughs> Fruchbrum from Burbank, California. Um, Studio City in my closet. Wow. <laughs> that's, Hello. That's so much more classy. <laughs> uh, today we're talking about episode number six, Duvali. And here's the part where I talk about if you haven't seen episodes one, two, three, four, or five, Please stop listening right now because you're in for a party if you know what we're talking about. And if not, you're just going to be confused and depressed. And Duvali is what, Rechna? Diwali is a celebration of light triumphing over dark. I say it's like Indian Christmas, sort of. And it's an awesome <laughs> holiday. It's an awesome holiday, very specific to Seema Patel's life. Yes. And very specific to both your life as a South Asian person and me as a non-South Asian person who experienced a Diwali for the first time two years ago. Which was like the jumping off point, I think. I mean, not that we were like, we have to do a holiday episode, but if we were, it, it's such a cool one. And, and your experience of it was, I think, like the spark. Well, the idea, first of all, of finding something completely new at a certain age that you didn't even know existed and being sort of involved in its culture by a friend. I was brought mm -hmm. into Diwali by a new friend who I had just met, much like how Carrie has just met Seema. Only I was invited. I didn't invite myself the way Carrie does. <laughs> <laughs> and the experience for me was very intimate and very beautiful. The idea of somebody looking at you and giving you strength and light. And when we knew we were doing a show where Carrie is basically in the middle of a dark forest, how do we show light? And how do we make that transition without, like, living in her grief for too long? I'm trying to remember, because I remember the first, the impulse of Light Over Dark you had had, Michael, and I remember the irony was, Rechna, you were like, you seem to have had a more spiritual experience at Duvali than yeah. I ever had, which I thought was fascinating. Totally. Because for me, it's like, rote is probably the wrong word. I love celebrating, but it's just like a year annual thing. And it's much more just about the gathering than it is about the spiritual experience. Whereas I think, Michael, for you, having just like learned this new thing after many years of, I'm sure, celebrating Christmas and whatever else, it's like... That's what's profound about it. We wanted to begin to push the main characters forward. And so here comes Seema. And why we brought Seema in was to bring in another point of view, another person, another life, another history. And when we decided that she would be South Asian, we immediately started talking about, well, what does that mean? Right. And as anything that can go from generic to specific, we decided to make Seema this particular character have this particular family and this particular Duvali experience. We also saw this holiday as a chance to get to see and know Seema a little bit more intimately. Like all we had seen of her so far was from Carrie's point of view. And so to kind of poke behind the curtain and see her with her family 
is always a way to learn, you know, what's behind that exterior. What better way than to kind of put her with her parents? Which is a rare occurrence for us because we always had a very, very, very limited parent uh, love on the show. I mean, we have Mm -hmm. no idea who Carrie's are. We've only seen Mm -hmm. the side of Charlotte's father when she was walking down the aisle, just the side, and we got away with it. Miranda's mother died. In a very Mm -hmm. amazing episode. We never talk about her father. Never talked about her father. Mm -hmm. And uh, Steve's mother, we seem to do better with parents of uh, once removed. (laughs) Steve's mother and Mira, Mary was fantastic. So here is Seema's mother and father. And we wanted to show basically how no matter how old you are, no matter how powerful you are, you're always a child to your family on some level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's like a way to see... I mean, to me, it's like what makes Superman interesting is not that he's so powerful. It's to find, like, to know his kryptonite. And I feel like that was like, mm. we built Seema in particular as mm. like such a superhero through the first couple episodes we know her. And this is her kryptonite in a way, although we really wanted to build her parents with sort of a, a rounded out vision because we've all seen the like super strict Indian parent before. And I think it was really important to all of us for those parents to be a little bit, like, more specific and well-rounded. That's why mm-hmm. he's watching the, the you know, the, the, the Knicks. Knicks. Yeah, just to, like, really show, like, he's not watching Bollywood movies, <laughs> you know, dressed in an Indian outfit. <laughs> because your dad watches— He's a guy it. from Queens. He's a guy from Queens. So we <laughs> wanted to show an Indian family from Queens. And now it's always interesting when you've decided you're going to do new characters, how you really— step them out and make sure, and it's really important to make sure that you're not just pretending you're giving them a life. And what that really means is you give them a life aside from the other main characters that people know. So here we have Mm -hmm. Seema meeting, we're meeting her family in a scene all by herself on the terrace of the apartment. Let's talk about the apartment for a minute. (laughs) Oh my God. Because (laughs) the apartment. This was a journey, this apartment. Okay, so yeah. what what we wanted to do was, since Seema is a real estate mogul, we wanted to give Carrie an apartment that a real estate mogul would have access to, and that Carrie, everybody knows she has a lot of money, so what's it going to be? Now, this is my favorite thing about this episode, is our journey of giving Carrie an apartment. Because what usually happens on television is you play around with the idea that she's going to move, but the audience, so savvy, knows that's a red herring, she's never going to move. And I remember we were working on this and working on this, and then all of a sudden one day we're like, she moves in, she buys it. Yeah, and yeah. That- I think <laughs> I remember saying, we all know she's not moving here. Yes. It's an up and back, or there are so many yeah. words for that, schmuck bait, up and back. And I was like, we all know she's not really going to move in there. And you said, uh, let's have her move. Yeah. Then she let's should. go even farther. Then we should. <laughs> yeah. if, let's go all the way which felt to me really good for Carrie because what we also, another thing that infused this whole story was Samantha Irby going, I don't want her living in some crappy, depressed apartment. (laughs) If she she has all that money, I'm depressed. If she lives in that, like she can't move on. What kind of woman with all that money is going to live in some janky, shitty apartment? (laughs) Walk up, people, with no doorman. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's interesting because one of the great things about production is John Melfi, who's our brilliant executive producer, he saw what we wrote. We couldn't find that apartment anywhere in Manhattan. Mm. It just doesn't exist with a river view, the future. So he said, let's build it. 
So that's an incredibly extravagant set to use for one episode. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and the and the green screen all around to make the river come to life. I mean, it's just really extravagant. But the but great we needed Carrie to be in the wrong light. Yes. That's the important yes. thing. Yeah, she yeah. starts in a harsh light. Mm-hmm. And then we move her into a different kind of light. And at the end of the show, you see a very bright light because she's moved mm-hmm. along. And then there is the bright light being shined at her in the plastic surgeon's yes. office, which is mm-hmm. another form also of— Also harsh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, which is like one of my favorite things of the season. Really? The the plastic surgeon? Yeah, scene? I mean, that scene, which, like, Michael helped just— I, I don't know, I just— the Jonathan Groff playing oh him. <laughs> the amazing oh Jonathan Groff, who is so, so seductive and uh. seductive. If you're going to have anyone tear yeah. your face apart, should but be I him. also just tell think you like you're Sarah, a hollower. Yeah, Sarah Jessica, that was a brave thing for her to, a brave scene for her to do. Very, very mm. on set, I remember. And thank God you were there for that, Rechna. Yeah. This feeling of vulnerability that she. Yeah. Was willing to do that. How I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't yeah. Think she and also play the comedy in it. Play <laughs> the comedy. Well, that's the thing that's so great about her. She can do it all. And the fact yeah. that she let us step out, what is a very kind of revelatory moment for Carrie about looking at herself through somebody else's eyes, mm-hmm. and then it's she, as she said, "I'm sorry, you cast." Jonathan Groff, the most adorable <laughs> actor on the planet, to tell me my face is sagging. I love the line that he says about Instagram is harder on mm. nature and Instagram are women. is harder on women. Yeah. yeah. I think what people might not fully understand is that these women are actually people <laughs> in the world who are under such a harsh light in their lives, um, you know, for how they look, how they age, how they try not to age. So major props for allowing that to happen. I remember when my father died, I was calling somebody from the hospital and I was there was still a payphone because it was back in 1934. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was talking to my friend in California and, and, and they said, how are you doing? And I looked at myself in the chrome of the thing. Oh, God. And I said... I look awful. And they said, maybe that's what death is for, you know, just to feel that and see that. And everything sort of winds up on some level in a script somehow when she says, "This my husband died, and that's a lot of what you're seeing on my face. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think we should take this moment to point out that this episode was directed by Cynthia Nixon, which was very exciting, and it also meant we tried to make it a Miranda— light episode, although light. she winds mm-hmm. up, she has although where she is, to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's an active Miranda episode, even though it's few scenes. <laughs> you can say you're making something a Miranda light episode, but it she always works. has something to say. She's coming yeah. in. And of course, it. you know, we thought we would just have her off in a corner masturbating. <laughs> so much for that plan. We tried. Oh, man. We had, we had, <laughs> I mean, at first, like we had her against the washer. Yeah. <laughs> the vibrating right. washer. Right. Did that we, was a scene I, I wrote at one that. point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, we had, In my mind, that exists. Also, we knew so we wanted to slow down the Che Miranda story because we're coming off of five, mm-hmm. that incredibly yeah. shocking 
fingering scene. And we knew we didn't want the, them to just be off to the races and assume that things are all systems go. We wanted to make her wait a little and, and be a little insecure and wonder. Yeah, um, the or, truth of it, what it would be. Yes, or doubt, mm-hmm. should I should I do this? Should I lay off? Um, so and was, also because we wanted to show that this was a lot in her head. Mm-hmm. We yes. didn't want the audience to think that Shay was even feeling the same stuff. Right. We, di- we didn't want them to know what they are thinking. So we're like, oh, okay, so let it be Miranda who's replaying, you know, in the cineplex in her head. In every movie theater, she's replaying Che in her. And it was very important mm-hmm. for the audience to hear somebody else's point of view, which is Charlotte's. Yeah, which is, and we were saying Charlotte almost being the voice of probably most people watching, being like, you're right. having an affair. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you, and you know when we were filming it too, Cynthia was at the table. It was so funny because it was the first scene she directed, by the way. This thing was the first scene she directed, oh, the right. picnic scene. And she mm-hmm. was sitting there going, well, I don't want to focus group this. Cut. <laughs> I mean, in the, uh, watching the other actresses going, oh, she's in, she's out, she's in, she's out. Just cut, right. cut, and, and I'm sitting there and she looked at me. Run over to the video monitor. I mean, it's quite a leap. Cynthia's directed theater, of course, and she's a very smart, smart person when it comes to storytelling. So I just thought it was a natural leap for Cynthia to direct the show, and we were excited that she got Duvali. Because what we thought was it would be a relatively Miranda light episode, what wound up being a crescendo moment for Miranda in the park. Mm-hmm. Right. And that scene, that big fight that takes place mm-hmm. in the park now, I remember originally we were talking about that was going to be in seven. They yeah. were going to be in the diner. It was going to mm-hmm. be the last scene. Last and scene. I remember the line you kept saying that I loved was nobody's leaving. We're yeah. staying here. We're going to fight as long as we have to, but nobody leaves this table. That we idea. already lost one. Yes. And mm-hmm. then it got pushed up, which I, I think was smart and necessary. Mm-hmm. But I, I do feel like given that it's sort of the center of the season, we needed to have this big come to Jesus. And it's many things. It's not just a fight. It's many things. The first thing that I really think is interesting is the different points of view about getting work done or not getting work done. You have Carrie in the middle Mm -hmm. who's just experienced this incredible sort of, she calls it a drive-by facelift. And then you have Miranda, full-on Miranda, furious Mm -hmm. and making fun of her neck and being mad at the doctor. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you have Charlotte saying there's nothing wrong with a little Botox. Women should be able to freshen up without the other women making them feel bad about it. And Miranda goes, who, me? Mm-hmm. And that's <laughs> where I think our show shines the most, is when we actually show different points of different view. All different perspectives. Yeah. I thought that that scene was also necessary because this was an episode where we really went outside our core to really see the worlds, like both with Andre Rashad and Naya and Wasima mm-hmm. that having this like core scene with our three main ladies was so crucial and so juicy and those conflict scenes those scenes where the char- where the, our three main characters are in some kind of fight with each other or disagreement or whatever you want to call it those are i think for me at least the hardest to get right like we mm rewrote that scene many, many, many times. Rechner rewrote it. We, ha- you know, we all yeah. sort of pitched in to try and walk that line of making sure they don't cross into 
just being villainous to each other and saying unforgivable things, but just finding that exact balance of judgment and sensitivity and closeness and frustration is is uh, takes a lot of thought and work. I think it's interesting too that when you're writing television or writing anything that's sort of objectively looked at, you already start having to think about, are they villainous rather than are they strong? Mm -hmm. And in how are people Mm -hmm. going to interpret Mm -hmm. this? And I remember Kristen, when we were filming it, she had, this is a step out for Charlotte too. You know, this whole journey for Charlotte has not just been one color. It's been many colors she's thrown. And the very beautiful, tiny little thread through this whole thing is that her daughter, Rose, doesn't want dolls that Charlotte invested her entire life in. They're rock by now. Well, soon to become manifest by the end of the episode as rock. But the reality is the show starts with rock saying, I don't want those things. I want that hang my longboard there. And then we go into the Madame Alexander International Doll Collection, which (laughs) was a great way to show Charlotte's two children with two completely Mm -hmm. different points of view about the same thing, which something that she thought was precious. But the point of doing it all was to show that Charlotte's having her things that are precious judged or removed from her Mm -hmm. life, whether they be the dolls or her daughter Rose, who is now non-binary rock. So when she has the strength to call out Miranda on yet another seismic change in her week or day, I think it's really strong. And Kristen was like, "I am I being too strong? Huh. And I in her performance, mm. because they're in it. And I said, you couldn't be stronger. This is what we're doing with mm-hmm. Charlotte. Yeah. She has a strong yeah. thing to say. She has strong opinions that a lot of the audience are going to agree with. And secondly, we get to crack at the end and say, why can't people just stay who they are? Mm -hmm. And then Carrie, Mm -hmm. who's just suffered a massive loss, says some of us don't have that luxury. And the next thing you see is her in the sari coming down the stairs as a completely different person. I also love in the Charlotte story that we have Lily and Rock lecturing Charlotte, not lecturing, but schooling her. Like, that's not okay <laughs> anymore, of, Mom, because yeah. that's all my kids do. It's like yes. now, and, mm-hmm. and Charlotte, who is generally right about, especially in terms of, like, mores and uh, yeah. politeness. Etiquette. Yes, yes, that they're all over her. I love that. And she's, like, obviously, like, trying to get it right. So it's, like, that's the, like, very funny piece. It's not like Charlotte's, like, <laughs> ignorant. Like, she's, like, I've done all the reading, and it's, like— yes. <laughs> Your They're kids dolls. will cut right. There's no amount of reading that your kids can't cut through. It's so true. <laughs> to really oh lay into the core. Here. <laughs> I wanted to go back to the sari scene, which is I think so beautiful when Carrie walks down in it, because I imagine there will be some reaction to having a white woman in a sari, and I think like Seema giving the permission. I just growing up for me in my generation, and my I'm maybe a little younger than the Seema character, but like a similar generation of my parents and and her parents. Um, it was so meaningful to my mom and dad when my white friends would come to one of our events and wear, you know, borrow my mm-hmm. outfits, my Indian outfits, and mm. so 
it felt kind of important for me to see it that way because I think, look, if Carrie had just gone and done it, that's like one thing. But her mm-hmm. at this amazing sari shop that really exists that Michael found just walking through Soho I did. one day. We were like, what? what? <laughs> the, first, the first wave of thought in the story room right. was that it was going to be a queen's sari shop. Yeah. They sit down and have tea with mm-hmm. these old people who make saris. Right. And then I was like, uh. then one day I was walking around Soho, as I did every weekend when we were writing because I'm mentally in on need fire, of oxygen. <laughs> on need, need, in need distance of thinking. And I saw this gorgeous, I couldn't believe it, this almost the Barneys of sari stops. It was called Ave, the Ave Indian Design Collective. And I looked in the windows and it was just, oh, this is a sari shop on Sex in the City. This is where you go. And then we thought, it's oh. where Seema would go. Seema's. Sorry, store. And it felt like I've never seen that world. There aren't even mannequins. They're on beautiful sort of wood batons on the wall or on pipes. Dress forms. Yeah, yeah, dress forms. So we actually contacted those people, and she was thrilled. So there we were. But Yeah. When we were shooting at the sorry shop, she was like, thank you so much. Like, she was just lovely. And then Rechna, there was whatever the opening line was. Now I can't remember, but we knew it wasn't, it wasn't doing what we needed it to do. And we were on set with you which is rare. So having you there was very yeah. exciting. You were like a secret weapon. And we were like, what's that line? What could that line be? And you said, welcome to my Soho. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. And that said it all. So as we're going as we're going to Diwali with Carrie, we've already set up the idea of the storyline for Naya. Naya is the infertile storyline, the IVF, the difficulty she's having getting pregnant. And the only way for us to stop making that just conversation was to show their life and what happened. So we came up with the idea of Fertile Myrtle <laughs> and the dinner party where she is going to talk about having a baby. And then in the dinner party, we find out that she, Myrtle herself, is pregnant. Again. Yeah. That was the the hardest, for me, the hardest scene to write of this episode. Really? Because I think, I mean, I think we brought it back to the room and I was like, we got to workshop this all together because it just, it was like, we're introducing, forget that we're showing Andre, Rashad, and Naya outside of our main characters, but we are also meeting these other two people. (laughs) And it was just Mm -hmm. so hard to figure out what are they talking about? How do we establish their relationship? How do we get Mm -hmm. a lot out? with little words, because, you know, you can't sit at that restaurant for half the episode. Um, and I think it turned out awesome. I do, too. And the one thing that I think was, like, the North Star of that scene was Kelly pitched that the man should say, couples like you have mm-hmm. to have babies. Yeah. That was yeah. the important yeah. sort of social mm-hmm. uh, stratus underneath it. The global pressure. The global pressure that they feel. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to put Andre and uh, Naya in a vulnerable place together as a couple in the same situation. But it's a perfect example of like, who are these people? And why are they in the show? And then you have these amazing actors, and then Molly put it's it's fall. Duvali is in fall, which is mm-hmm. was the beginning of us going into a different season. And the first episode, the first scene, he basically says, "New York autumn light." That's a way of letting us know we're mm-hmm. transitioning. Carrie, we're moving her through the time mm-hmm. zones. She we're now into fall, and then you see the way that um, 
the the actress playing Myrtle is dressed by Molly, and it's all argyles and warm, and everything's uniquely specific to somebody. And uh, that's mm-hmm. a very risky little scene, and it mm-hmm. seems very genuine to me. Why did it feel I risky agree. to you? Because we don't know them. We don't know any of these people. Yeah, we don't know right. who they are, why we're spending yeah. time with them. Stepping completely right. away, there's not even That's one of true. our familiar characters in the scene. So Naya is now the familiar character, right. yeah. and she's a new character, but now she's the anchor right. of three other people that you don't know. And we have to show Naya and Andrea are in love because we're about to show them make love. And you know, we kept circling these infertility discussions, and feeling, all of us feeling some fatigue. Ugh, what else is in their life? Do we have to just keep having them talk and talk and talk about it? And I'm pretty sure it was Sam who kept banging the drum for more sex in the show. (laughs) And (laughs) so we decided, like, let's actually show them they are a happy couple. They do have a great sex life. Let's look into their sex life. And then I remember the amazing moment when she said, if that didn't put a baby in me, then I don't want to do the other thing. That's where we were driving. That that line was where we were driving the entire scene. When mm-hmm. Samantha said that line, we were like, okay, that's where we're going. Yeah. And mm-hmm. now that's the way Naya, who's so vulnerable, and then everything else was built around it. Like mm-hmm. she didn't want to talk about babies in front of him. She didn't know how to bring it up. But when after they have that huge explosive orgasm together, and she goes, boom, and here's the reality of where they are. Yeah. And then he's very loving. So you think, well, they're a good couple. Well, mm. and in talking about how this was the first time we had these all these new characters in, in their own scene, in the scene leading up to it, when Miranda and Naya are on the bench watching that scene, we realized really the whole scene is about Naya. Like it was about her introducing the house, showing her the house on the phone. The the house that they're redoing for the shelter. And then Mm -hmm. she gets the call, and it's about Myrtle. It's all about her. Like, And that was sort of an exciting thing. It really wasn't about Miranda at all. It was like Miranda passing the baton to Naya and almost like giving the Mm -hmm. show permission to be like, now we're going to live in Naya's world for a minute. Right. And I think to me, what I was excited about for that double date scene is— as someone who went through endless infertility hell, that is the most relatable thing to me. Is like you're out in the world, you're already feeling vulnerable and in Naya's case, ambivalent. And then people are just popping up pregnant left and right <laughs> when you least expect mm-hmm. it. And you have to pretend to be semi-happy for them. Yeah, but also, yeah. But also so we didn't want to make them clueless. We have Myrtle being very, very aware of yes. what her husband's oh, yeah. saying. Mm-hmm. That was super important. Which makes it even worse, as you said, that yeah. all of a sudden you're fe- they, like, fe- they see your pain. Then right. you're the pity person, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Oh, my God. The fun thing about the end of the Andre Richard sex scene to me is how you hear the beeping. And I want to talk a little bit about Carrie and her, her, her beeping because oh this God. was the hardest thesis to prove on paper. But I felt if we got Sarah Jessica Parker in a big, shiny, empty, modern room, and her co-star were three beeps <laughs> mm-hmm. and no dialogue, <laughs> we'd get close to a Buster Keaton movie moment. Yeah. And it elevated her <laughs> so much mm-hmm. it, to like that that crazy comedy instinct that she has. But the whole 
art direction of this episode blows my mind. The yellow lamp, that crazy yeah. yellow lamp mm-hmm. that Sarah Jessica said, that. like, they had many lamps, and she looked at it and said, that's the lamp. It's Conran's 1988. And I said, we're putting it in then. Because <laughs> yeah. everybody might remember Conran's <laughs> 1988. We put right. that line in. But that, the big sun hat with the purple, and mm. then the blue skillet that she's making the salmon. And yeah. there she is, sadly, trying to— In live, this white, white space. In that big white space, trying yeah. to go on about her life. And that's what I love about Carrie in this episode. She is bravely— very bravely trying to move forward, even if it's out of whack and out of alignment. She refuses Mm -hmm. to sit and feel bad for herself. And that was an important Mm -hmm. element to us as writers, that Carrie Mm -hmm. can't pity herself. She just has to keep going forward. Yeah, because I think Carrie insisting on going forward gives the audience permission to also move forward with her. Mm -hmm. You can't have people pushing her. At first, I think it was a little more everyone else pushing her forward. And then we sort of had that realization, like, no, Carrie has to be driving herself forward. And it actually, I feel like I got to know Carrie more as a character throughout this season, as like more than I ever had before. Mm. Like, I feel like she emerged to me as someone who would do that. Like people respond to loss in different ways. And some people, some people, you know, really sit in it for a long time. And some people, I think, throw themselves forward. And I felt like it it wasn't only good for the show and for the viewers, but it felt to me true for who Carrie is. And yeah. to be that person. The- Beeping while it's already the most relatable thing. Who hasn't had that? <laughs> I had it in the sublet where I, the dishwasher <laughs> beep beep beep. That's why it's in the show. I don't know that exact sign. And I said to the sound director, "It sounds like this." And uh, it went off in my apartment. I put it up phone tape and sent it to him. So it's the most relatable thing. We've all had that. I have it many times. And the most recent time it happened, I realized the additional like poignant, powerful thing is. For many of us, we turn to our spouse and say, mm-hmm. where the fuck is that beep coming from? Yeah. Go fix it. And she has nobody. It's, it's yeah. that's. I mean, her sitting there at night in that big, beautiful apartment from outside and you're seeing the, the, the fish tank view of her eating that salmon yeah. alone is one of the most important images. And the other thing that's important to me in this show is, you know, you said about some people take to their bed. Our version of that was Mm -hmm. episode five where she was bedridden and we just didn't want Mm -hmm. it to be depression. So we sort Mm of, we sort of moved over it by giving her a a deformed hip situation. (laughs) So six was really about, I can't lay in bed anymore. I got to go forward. Mm -hmm. And even if I'm not ready Mm -hmm. to, but you have to move forward at your own pace, not at somebody else's. And what (laughs) is the beeping really? It's like a gentle push. Mm -hmm. And the thing about, Gentle pushes, they come from sometimes choices you make, like moving to the wrong place and having a beep, or they come from a person. And what I love about the actual Diwali scene is that our strong woman who calls herself a what? Bad Indian daughter. That's that's Reshna's line. Reshna's saying, like, I'm a bad Indian daughter. <laughs> Here you have this woman who proclaims to Carrie that she's just a bad Indian daughter and everybody's fine with it. Yeah. And then when she gets there, their parents start asking about uh, Dennis. <laughs> and we find out that Seema has created a fictional boyfriend. Which is the ultimate, like, t- having set up this character as this incredibly s- strong badass yeah. who does not suffer fools, and then to see that 
the way most of us, when we're around our families, we play a very yeah. different role. And I think it opens the door to a deeper um, layer of their friendship. Because mm-hmm. it's like the first time Seema's vulnerable to Carrie. Yes. That's yes. true. And you feel that embarrassment in that moment. Mm-hmm. Oh. But then you see Carrie show up and yeah. play it, do it right. Do it right yeah. for her. And then afterwards, yeah. when they are smoking in a car, Seema says, that's just something I tell myself. I know it's not, there's no dentist in my life. And then she goes, it's just something that makes it easier. And Carrie says, I hate the apartment. And what she's been telling herself is, I can live here. I can live mm-hmm. here. I can mm-hmm. live here. And Seema saying, just you have to love where you live, is the bigger part of the episode. Yeah. And if That's Carrie it. needs to be back in her apartment, no matter whether Samantha Irby finds it depressing or not, <laughs> she's got to be back. She's got to be back in that apartment. And then when Seema ties the string on Carrie's wrist, what I found most compelling and the thing that maybe made my Duvali experience burn into my consciousness was this person who I was just getting to know asked me mm-hmm. to put out my wrist and tied a red string around it, making eye contact with me about strength and you need this as a reminder. But it was the intimacy of Mm -hmm. two relative strangers that I found so thrilling. And so when Carrie gets that connection from Seema, and then she says, this reminds you of your strength, to remind you of your strength. And it goes right to the next image, which is the completely clean, wiped free, naked face of Carrie Bradshaw at 55, looking at herself in the harsh light of that mirror. And then picking up the Carrie necklace, which is Mm. her identity to her, and putting it back on. To me, that is everything about the episode because it's really, Carrie's been a wife and a mourner, and everything's taken away from her except she's just gotten strength enough to claim herself again. Yeah, And then she walks out of that bathroom and sees everything that sort of frightened her to look at. Boxes and boxes of stuff that would remind her of Big, starting with the records, which it's very important if you get a chance to ever look at this again. The records are already on the shelf. They're not in the box. They're you mean already, in the, when she comes out? When she comes out of the she's bathroom, already she's already them. unpacked them and made them part of her bookcase. Mm-hmm. And it was very mm-hmm. important because props started saying, well, they're in boxes. I said, no, no. She's past the boxes. They're in. They're in her life. She's, she's absorbed her part of Big into her current place. And then she puts on the, uh, one of Big's records, which we know, I can see clearly now, is definitely from his era. And... uh yeah. does the brave thing of cutting open the box with the pink box cutter that Charlotte gave her to move forward. I love Charlotte in that storage unit scene. Oh. I want to talk oh, about too. her in that scene because to me, the fact that when they enter, Carrie's feeling pretty good. She's aware this could be a minefield. To but me, she's... that's like Carrie and Charlotte entering the last scene of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, that <laughs> yeah. giant warehouse. That's what it always looks it's like. like. Okay, I'm doing this. I have armor. I have my friend. I'm setting the goals are manageable, right? What did she say? What What are our goals? To yeah. find a couple of things to make a, the place feel like me. Yes, and that's yeah. it. Like she sets a very doable uh, goal for herself. 
And Actually, then, Charlotte asked her, what's the yes, goal? What's like the a friend, what are we doing? Such a, yes, and the way yeah. Charlotte would, like, let's, I want to know uh, my, what's our, what's our task list? Um, but then how in a moment things can turn, and for Carrie in that moment when she gets upset, and mm. Charlotte saying, I think the line is, what can I do to help? Is that it? It's something that was so, yeah. I I know that feeling of seeing a friend in pain and like there's nothing you can do. Well, and yeah. like not knowing what do you want? Do you want me to hug you? Do no, you want she me knows to? that. That's what I love about the episode. Yeah, she doesn't she's so because quiet. she learned it mm-hmm. in episode three. three. Yeah. She says sometimes you have to let she me do that. She just stands there and lets her feel it. Go, Which can be the hardest thing feelings. to do as a Absolutely. friend. Absolutely. It's like, it's uh, well because she learned, and that's a little tiny yeah. growth moment for Charlotte, where she I, was totally. telling Carrie, "You're not a mess," and Carrie says, "Charlotte, you have to let me be a mess," and she yeah. says, "Okay." And now here she is at the end of the episode, with strength on her wrist, and Carrie carry around her neck, carry around her neck. She starts mm-hmm. playing and his jacket. She opens and she big opens on her one shoulders, of boxes, yeah. and she sees his tux. And uh, yeah. I mean, you can't have a more classic Mister Big outfit than I, a tux. Uh, I also, I think, like, in thinking about the episode, it was too, like, it's it's the episode where Carrie's like, okay, who's just Carrie at 55? And at first, just Carrie, she's, like, really trying to be, like, Carrie at 35 in terms of, and I think that's where the facelift, like, she's like, should I do, is that right. who just Carrie is, like, 35-year-old Carrie? And then at the end, for her to be like, no, just Carrie at 55 has a lot of big in it. Like, it, it can't just be who she was pre-marriage to big. It has to, infuse, right. and I love that. And the whole... The moral of the story on this one, particularly, and it's the first time we moved the voiceover before the end of the show, mm-hmm. because it was coming to her immediately as she walked into the room. We moved it up. It's usually the last thing you see, but the song carries you through the two other storylines. But she says, and just like that, I remembered how much I loved the last 15 years. And yeah. the idea mm-hmm. of, yeah, you can be altered, but you're taking away some of the parts of your 15 years that you loved and you have to take the yeah. good with the bad. Mm-hmm. And so the the strength, I'll say, since she now has a red string and an inner strength of saying, no, I'm, I'm me, I'm who I am. And some doctor on the Upper East Side thinks I need a full or mini <laughs> facelift, but, <laughs> but I'm fine with who I am. I like where I am in the apartment, emotionally and physically. And then you go from Carrie's... Yeah beautiful sort of touching the the tuxedo to Charlotte's letting go of stuff that was a part of, Mm -hmm. that touched her, the dolls. And then... And and her kid is And Rock's long hair. Yeah, Rock Rock said they wanted to cut their hair and she put it on the back burner of Charlotte. And then all of a sudden, you see Rock turn around and there's something... In that face, that look, Rock shoots back to Charlotte that is so expansive. I don't know what Alexa was playing there, but I was just thrown back mm. when I saw that okay. happiness and that that they were they were that becoming themselves. And then Charlotte just smiles and realizes you have to let go of some things and get new things. Yeah. And then the fun, boldest of all is Cynthia. Miranda. Marantha in the laundry room folding Steve's underwear. Oh and God. texting Che. And um, it's the opposite of what most people would do with that 
moment because mm. it's the most optimistic part of the song. Hmm. Nothing but blue skies. And then she hits send. Eek. And it's just this like, and Cynthia's, the way Cynthia puts her finger, and I've edited it, so the way she puts her finger up to her mouth before she hits send is exquisite acting. I'm just mm -hmm. like, wow, how do you extend that moment? And she just did. And then she hits send, and then you see Carrie come down the stairs in a scarlet red, the color of the string dress, with roses just on the bodice, Big's jacket, and his white cummerbund from the tuxedo around mm. her waist. And she opens the door and goes out into blinding light. And the entire screen turns white because she's letting in as much light as possible in that moment. Yeah. The good light. Yeah. And just like that, we've reached the end of another podcast episode. Thanks, Elisa, Julie, and Rechna for today's conversation. We'll be back next week to unpack Episode 7 of And Just Like That. See you then. This is the official companion podcast for the HBO Max show And Just Like That. And it's a production of HBO Max and Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers are Barry Finkel, Gabrielle Lewis, Max Zielinski, and Jenna Weiss-Berman. Our senior producer on the show is Emmanuel Hapsis. Jonathan Shiflett is our producer, and Janelle Anderson is our associate producer. Our managing producer is Aaron Kelly. Josh Gwynn is our story editor, and our engineers are Davey Sumner and Elliot Adler. Production music is courtesy of HBO Max. You can listen to the next episode of And Just Like That, the Writer's Room podcast, after watching episode seven of And Just Like That on HBO Max. And don't forget to subscribe for new conversations every week, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>